Welcome to the Present Age Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Malloy. Joining me on today's episode to discuss his new newsletter is writer Aaron Rupar. Let's get started. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me good. on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Uh, as soon as I heard that you were you were starting your own thing, I I wanted to uh, get you on here to talk about it so that anyone who's listening to this can go listen to or can go read your uh, yeah. your new Substack. Can you tell I me about that. it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm viewing uh, my Substack, which I'm going to call Public Notice, as basically an extension of the sort of coverage I've been doing for four or five years now, I guess maybe six, boy, I started, well, early 2016, so five and a half going on six, um, you know, which is basically coverage of Trumpism, right-wing media, and kind of where they fit into the broader sphere of American politics. Um, you know, as with any of these substacks, um, I think things have a tendency to kind of evolve as you go, and you get a sense of what works with your audience, what doesn't work, uh, what sort of things people are interested to read more about. And so um, I'm viewing it, at least initially, as kind of a, a more conversational and iterative version of the sort of writing I've been doing at Vox, um, you know, with at least three uh, three newsletters a week to begin with. Um, actually, to begin with, it'll be, it'll be more. I think I'm going to be doing a daily one for the first couple of weeks and then kind of scaling it back to more of a normal schedule after that. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll be kind of a place that people can go to get up to speed on you know, what the big media stories of the week are, um, You know how, how right-wing media in particular is covering kind of the broader picture of American politics um, and a lot of good stuff that you're familiar with too from your background at, at Media Matters. So um that's how I'm viewing it going in. Like I said, I'm sure things will will kind of evolve, and you know, it's always daunting when you're at the the beginning stages of something like this. But um, you know, I'm hopeful that um, a lot of the audience that I've developed over the years will come with me and check out the newsletter and hopefully enjoy it. So um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, definitely. That's. I mean, most most people, if if they're not familiar with your writing at Vox, they're probably at least familiar with the videos you post. You you post. Yeah constantly <laughs> you know videos from yeah. from all sorts of political events trump rallies etc cetera, etc cetera. um one question i did i had about that was um are you still going to be posting videos and is your twitter feed going to change at all I don't think it's going to change at all um it took a lot of outlay in terms of money to get some of the services that previously I had um, organizations paying for, whether that's Snapstream or TVIs, things that I rely on, you know, to be able to do live posting and just kind of like media monitoring. And again, all stuff that I'm sure you're familiar with from Media Matters, which also is very active in that space. Um, but that's kind of the idea is to keep Twitter pretty constant. And, um, you know, so for people who just enjoy kind of the video tweets and the video threads, not too much should be changing on that front. But then for people who do enjoy my writing, um, I'll be doing at least a couple free newsletters a week and then one paid one that I'm kind of imagining and at this point will be sort of a summation of like the most buzzworthy segments and news stories from media, you know, more of a media focused newsletter than the other two, which I'm thinking will be more focused on politics. But, um, you know, I know that that's been a huge thing for me in terms of developing an audience has been Twitter. And so, you know, it's expensive. It, and that was kind of a thing as I was leaving Vox and sort of planning this next stage of my career, um, I felt kind of exhausted from all of the negotiations that I had to do just to try and strike deals with Snapstreams, T Snapstream TVIs, uh, places like that. 
but I think I'm pretty geared up at this point to have, um, you know, all the same services that I've come to be used to and to come to rely on to some extent to do uh, the type of media coverage that I do. So, uh, you know, for people who are just interested in my tweets, I, you know, I think people, even if they have that level of interest in my work and um, that much shouldn't be changing too much. Cool. And also anyone who's, you know, a fan of your tweets should probably subscribe to, <laughs> to uh, the newsletter, which I'm not sure if you mentioned it. it's called it's called public notice, right? Yeah, I thought public notice. I mean, it works for the type of stuff I'm going to be doing, trying to surface kind of stories that are in the broad public interest. Um, and, you know, kind of in the sense that a public notice, as we historically think of it, is like a, you know, a broadsheet that you'd see in a town square or something like that. I, I thought that kind of dovetailed nicely with the idea that I have for this newsletter kind of being a broadsheet summarizing um, you know, again, the, the things that I'm paying attention to in the sphere of, of media and politics. And so, um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like trying to name a band, you know, if I played enough bands where, um, the band name can always be kind of like a fraught item to, to agree on, to come up with. And so, um, for a while I was just going to go with the Rupa report and I still may incorporate that as like the name of the, the paid newsletter that I do, or I might use that as kind of like a, a section of the newsletter, but, um, yeah, I like kind of the ring of public notice. I think it works for the type of work that I'm going to be doing. And so, uh, yeah, that's going to be the name of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, whenever I hear one of these, like, really good names, I'm just kind of like, damn it, why didn't I do it? You know? <laughs> I, yeah. I like I like mine. I like the present age. But yeah, also, I, like I kind of wish it was something that felt – because in my mind, I, I pictured it like this would be a great, like – title for a magazine or something like that but then as time time kind of goes on I'm just like man I wish it was just something that was like boom here's what you're getting you know that sort of thing instead of having to be like so if you read some philosophy blah, blah, you know <laughs> yeah. like having to go into detail on, on that sort of stuff but uh yeah I mean public notice is just just a great name and is that, is that so. going to be at is it public notice.substack Com, so yes, that is what it's going to be. This is actually kind of, so uh, for many, many years, I owned uh, AaronRupar.com. I was just kind of like paying for it in case. And then um, I ended up just earlier this year, um, like letting that lapse. And of course it was like snapped up. Um, I no longer own it. And so um, that is still actually, as, as we record this year, um, that is still a little bit unclear exactly what the URL is going to be, but I believe it will be aaronrupar.substack.com to begin with. I'm still kind of debating if I want to pay for like the aaronrupar.info or something like that. But um, yeah, one of those things were like for many, many years for GoDaddy, I just kind of had like money going out the door to kind of hold this URL. And then, you know, I don't know if I was kind of like, you know, trying to cut costs or something, but I let it, I let it lapse about a year ago. And um, here I am, you know, I, I like went back to see if I could purchase it and, you know, it's um, been snapped up. It's no longer available. So um you know, so yeah, you know, it'll probably have Substack in the, the title to begin with. But um, from what I understand, those are things that are pretty easy to change down the line. So, um, you know, the, the main place to find it will just be, you know, check out my, my Twitter account. I'll have a link there. But um, I'm, I'm guessing that for people who are listening to this who maybe aren't on Twitter or something like that, AaronRupar.substack.com should be the, the place to go to find that. Absolutely. That's, yeah, I, um, God, that, that, that sort of reminds me of, a while back, I was looking for like a an email address or something like that. And I was just like, I'm going to sign up for a Gmail address that's just my name, Parker Molloy. And, and it was taken. And I'm like, who the hell took this? <laughs> like, I kind of want to like send an email to it and just be like, 
who are you? Yeah. Why did you take my name? Yeah. Well, there's, there might be another Parker Malloy out there. It's, um, it's possible. I, uh, uh, yeah. It's... There's a, there's an Aaron Rupar in Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like my, my last name is fairly, there's a few of us, but um, you know, I mean, with, with all of the people out there, um, odds are there might be another Parker Malloy. So yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- one, one thing kept coming up uh, like on, on searches, it, something like an 18th century Irish immigrant or something was named like Parker Malloy. I'm like, that sounds oh. about right. That's perfect. Well, that, uh, you know, I, I don't <laughs> think that person would have opened a Gmail, but no, uh, probably not. I mean, unless they did some time travel or something like that. Who knows? Who's to say? <laughs> so you were, you were recently in Chicago, right? I was. Yes. I, I saw um, on your Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Um, right now, I'm, I've been spending a lot of time during the pandemic here. I'm in Minnesota presently. Um, and so we, my two younger brothers, myself, decided to go to Chicago for the, the main thing we were going for was the AEW All Out show, which was amazing and actually worked out quite well for us because it was in Hoffman Estates, um, which for people who aren't familiar with Chicago is like way in the northwest of the metro. But if you're coming from Minnesota, it lopped like an hour off of the drive. So it made it actually even an easier drive. Um, That's what, when you're in Minnesota, um, you know, like a five hour drive is actually, um, it seems like kind of not that big of a deal because we're so isolated here in terms of other metros. But um, yeah, we ended up making a really uh, fun weekend out of it. Um, We did a Cubs game and we hit up the uh, barcade and in Wicker Park and all that fun stuff. And um, my family, we've been quite um, diligent about COVID stuff. So we were kind of worried about that. But when we got back, we did, you know, the the rapid test just to make sure that, you know, everything was on the up and up. And now at this point, it was weeks ago. So I think we're in the clear. But yeah. um, one of those things that we had planned, you know, like in the, the very um, bright and sunny days of June, when it seemed like um, we were kind of pulling out of this pandemic. And then, of course, you know, by the time the trip actually happened uh covid was much more of a concern but it was actually you know given how much time we've all spent at home over the past year and a half it was really fun to to get out there i'd never really done a trip like that with uh, my brothers either so to do a brother's road trip and we saw some really fun wrestling and of course wrigley is always a joy as well so um it's always fun to get to chicago i've done that trip from uh, minnesota when i was living here permanently you know through college and then a little bit beyond um i used to travel to chicago quite regularly but it had been it had been a bit since i'd been there so uh Kind of reminded me how like vibrant and fun the city is, and um, it was a great time. Yeah, yeah, I uh, and <laughs> because I saw this, I saw that you came to Chicago because first, well, it was on your Twitter, but besides that, um, the Washington Free Beacon decided to write about you. Did you see that? Oh God, yeah. Uh, well, what happened was, I mean, and, and I don't know if people follow uh, Red Skis, um, but um, he, he and I. <laughs> He was kind of needling me over, um, I posted a photo from the one of the wrestling, we went to two wrestling events, but the first yeah. one that I was at, and we had gone to the wrestling show, and we were back at the hotel, and I had had a couple of drinks, so I was feeling just like feisty enough to kind of engage, and so I was just, you know, we, it was sort of good natured, at least on my end, um, but you know, it's kind of that pipeline of people, you know, right-wing media figures, where it went from Red Skis to like the Washington Free Beacon, and um it became kind of this, you know, again, where people on the right love to kind of own the libs for being hypocritical or not practicing what they preach. And so the idea was that I was a huge hypocrite because I was in like this indoor setting. Um, and granted, the, the mass compliance at AW is actually pretty good. Um, 
you know, it, it seemed like people generally with, with exceptions, of course, but you know, when they were sitting down, their seats were masked up, but, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of just became one of those things where, um, whenever you're like kind of a prominent liberal online and, and right-wingers have a chance to sort of shame you for being a hypocrite or not following the rules that you profess to find important for people in society to follow, um, you know, it's kind of an, a, a fun thing for them to do, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure you've experienced that sort of thing too, um, where you kind of become the story and, um, at this point, I've kind of been there enough times where I can just kind of shrug it off and it's not, it's not a big deal, but, yeah. um, yeah, that whole weekend I was kind of in my Twitter, <laughs> um, you know, my Twitter notifications, I was getting notifications that, oh, this or that right wing figure was, uh, teasing me or, you know, trying to shame me for the fact that I was out and enjoying life, at least for that weekend. Yeah. Every, every time that happens with, with me, it's, it's usually one of those sites, free beacon or, or twitchy that that's another one. <laughs> Twitch, oh, twitchy. Oh, twitchy, when they put me in headlines, they don't like qualify or say who it is. And I'm just like, guys, no one knows who I am. Right. <laughs> you, like, you know, if 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 you're gonna write like an article about like a movie star, you can just say their name and people will know who you're talking about. But if you're just like Parker Malloy said this on Twitter, it's like who the fuck is Parker Malloy? Right. You know, and well when you I mean it, yeah, when, you know, because you were your title, I think, at Media Matters was editor at large. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that you know, oh, Media Matters. That you know, people kind of understand what what Media Matters is, but that's kind of the case now for me too, where it's like, when when I was at Vox, I mean, that was always people love to own Vox, you know. So it was like, oh, this Vox person. Um, and now, I mean, it's so new that I'm independent. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. If like I have enough, you know, if if my brand is strong enough where people will care, will still care or not, but. Um, yeah, when you're just doing a newsletter, it's kind of like newsletter writer so and so. I mean, it doesn't quite have the same, the same uh, kick that you know, oh, Vox person or Media Matters person has. You know. Yeah, it's sometimes I miss being uh being part of the the target that is Media Matters on Twitter. <laughs> like like when uh, uh, Laura Logan was you know, had like, oh my God. you know, last week where she was, she was like, they're just, they're like the Taliban or something like that. And I was like, I've been gone for like two months. And if they turn into a uh, paramilitary organization, I don't know, that seems a little out of character, but okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that's kind of the point. Cause yeah, media matters is interesting in that respect. Cause you know, a lot of it, you know, including yourself when you were there, but like Bobby Lewis or Andrew Lawrence, I mean, it, you know, people who have such voice on Twitter, but then, you read the posts on the on the Media Matters site and they're so kind of like straightforward, you know, they're very factual and quotes, you know, and and that's like for me at Vox, I mean, Media Matters stuff on your site and, and on Twitter too, but especially on the site was such a great resource because it, you know, it was very factual. And, and so, yeah, whenever you see people kind of portraying Media Matters as like this rogue, you know, um, like, you, like a paramilitary organization or something like, like that, it's so over the top um that you know you just kind of roll your eyes at it but um you know it's it's i don't know i mean some people i guess are kind of ashamed of things that they say on tv or you know they don't want people you know that was kind of always the thing that i felt with my you know the long-running feud that i've had over many years now with glenn greenwald which the kind of the origins was me just kind of calling him out for being on tucker and posting video clips and it seemed like and obviously other people at media matters have been targets of him as well where he kind of i think the the term that he's used is like we're hall monitors or something like that you know like we're narking on him or something but you know oftentimes you're just kind of conveying things that he's saying on tucker carlson show and that's you know if that's enough to 
to kind of set someone off, then I think, you know, the problem is probably more with them than, than anything else. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of people like Laura Logan kind of telling on themselves with stuff like that. Yeah, that's, uh, see now that, that could be one way, one way to get your, get your sub stack off the ground. You could just start a big fight with Greenwald. Oh man. I <laughs> that know, might I'm like be, that dreading. might be the path. Yeah. Just be yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I've tried to rise above, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's you know over the over the years you kind of mellow out a little bit and um, I don't know there was a time where Twitter fights were a lot more appealing than they seem to be to me now I think maybe part of that was just kind of being at Vox which obviously doesn't really want their staffers kind of engaging in bare knuckle combat on Twitter um, but you know I still think it's worth calling these people out at times but you know with someone like Greenwald I think it's become so normal for him to go on Fox News. It's not really newsworthy anymore. I mean, there was kind of, yeah. you know, there was a time where he was getting a lot of grief because he would proclaim that the idea was that he was going on Fox and telling viewers, um, sharing perspectives that they wouldn't see um, normally. But I mean, any pretense of that is so far, you know, it, it's it's become so absurd to even claim that something like that is going on um, that I just don't see a lot of news value in, in kind of highlighting that stuff. And that's sort of the thing you know, more broadly with like Tucker Carlson's show, which I still try and keep an eye on most nights, but, you know, I find myself kind of grappling with just the extent to which it becomes kind of self-perpetuating where if you, you know, if you kind of make a big event out of every one of his shows, does that, you know, kind of help create this perception that they're big events? Because, you know, a lot of what he says is so predictable at this point, obviously he has millions of viewers. And so you can't discount that, nor can you really understand what's going on on the right if you ignore people like Tucker Carlson or if you ignore the Trump rallies, you know, I don't think that's really a, a hugely constructive way to approach them. But and, and obviously, people at Media Matters, that's their job, you know, is to document. Um, but for someone like me, who is kind of dipping in and out just to try and get a sense of what people are talking about on the right, um, you know, if you're live clipping every one of his monologues, um, you know, there, there is a sense in which you're kind of promoting him or like validating him to your audience as well. So um, you know, I don't have any great answers for that, but it's something, you know, as I'm kind of immersed in right-wing media that I find myself almost on a daily basis kind of wondering what the the correct way to handle situations like that is. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I um, I find myself kind of grappling with that same sort of, okay, is this really important to focus on? Is it not? But I mean, when it comes to someone like Tucker Carlson, for example, he's he is... Uh, essentially setting the um you know setting setting the platform for the republican party moving forward he is you know on his show he he pushes great replacement theory kind of stuff and then yeah. you'll see a member of congress on fox and friends talking about that i mean that's the same thing that the charlottesville nazis chanting yeah. you know that they won't be replaced like that's the same thing we've come that far to where now yeah. that's main mainstream or the the el paso shooter yeah um, and it's kind of, yeah, and there's a dynamic where you get kind of numb through the sheer repetition of it, where the first time you hear Tucker Carlson invoke great great replacement theory, it's like this big news event because it's like, wow, this is, you know, a far right talking point that's made its way onto Fox News. But then after like 10 broadcasts of that, you know, the you, you just become, it, it becomes kind of numbing where it's like, okay, this is just another bit on his show. Um, and you're right. I mean, there was um, a congressman from Texas who was on Newsmax kind of, you know, pretty much word for word, um, you know, saying a lot of the same things that Tucker Carlson says on his show about how, you know, Dems 
um, you know, the, the Dem immigration policy is to bring immigrants in who vote for Dems, you know, and th this idea that it's kind of this conspiracy to change the electorate um, in a way that sort of dilutes the power of, of, you know, traditional, you know, with air quotes, American voters sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a tricky thing to, to know how to handle that because again, you know, there, there's kind of a novelty the first few times you hear something like that. I mean, I think back, you know, the El Paso shooting, which happened, I, I believe that was in 2018. And at that time, Trump was really hammering um, the caravan talking points and sort of this, this notion that immigration was tantamount to an invasion of the country. And that came out in the manifesto that the shooter uh, released at the time of the shooting. And now that, you know, we fast forward three years and it's like just kind of a normal Republican talking point. And so, um, you know, there are consequences to things like that, but um, it also is just a difficult thing to cover on a day in and day out basis uh, because it's kind of exhausting. And, and again, it just, it sort of loses some news value. So, um, you know, that is where I think that it's, it's the type of work that Media Matters does is so vital in, in terms of just shedding light to a, a largely progressive audience of what people are talking about on the right and sort of raising awareness in those ways. Um, but, you know, you hear, and, and I noticed this recently with Chip Roy, who was on Tucker Carlson's program, and I, I clipped this because it, to me, kind of rose to level where he was saying that Democrats are sick and twisted individuals and, you know, the sort of dehumanizing and kind of um, incendiary rhetoric, you know, um, and that's kind of like a nightly thing on Fox. And so, you know, you just, you try and imagine if you're someone who's earnestly watching this stuff, you know, what your views about politics would be. Um, and it's not a, it's not a pretty picture, but, um, you know, it's, it's part of the complication of being a, a journalist covering media at this point, political media is just kind of knowing how to, to handle these very difficult subjects in a responsible way that doesn't kind of perpetuate problems. And so, um, you know, Trump had a rally just this past weekend in Georgia that I, I live clipped and added some commentary on Twitter. And, you know, I got a number of DMs from people who were like, you're part of the problem, you know, you're promoting them. And, and you know, I, I try to be sensitive to that. I think there is news value in kind of knowing what Trump is talking about, because, you know, he's a presumptive 2024 Republican presidential nominee at this point, and obviously setting the agenda for the Republican Party. Um, so I don't really think ignoring is the way to go. And again, I don't have any perfect, uh, you could probably teach classes on this stuff, but um, it's difficult. And it's kind of, these are kind of new problems. Um, because, you know, we're, we live in such a media saturated environment now that um, it's just inescapable, you know, and you have to, you have to find a way to cover this stuff if you're going to cover politics and um, it's dicey. So I, I, I don't pretend to be perfect, but, um, you know, these are things that I am going to try to continue to grapple with in the, in the newsletter as well. So. Great. Yeah. I, um, I, th I think for me, one of the, one of the points that, that kind of pushed me into trying to do, do this newsletter and doing the Substack thing, just like you are, is kind of this, the, the fact that when I was at Media Matters, I, I, there were several times where I, I watched something happen. And then I was like, I'm going to write about that. And then I'd write about that. And then I'd watch the same thing happen like six months later. And I'm like, I'm going to write about that. I've already written about that, but I'm going to write about it again. And then the same thing would keep happening and nothing was changing. And I'm just like, okay, maybe I'm not writing this correctly, or maybe I'm not getting through to the people I need to get through to. And maybe, or maybe I just need a change of scenery. And, yeah, yeah. and I think that that's kind of, uh, it, that's been helpful for me. I mean, I, I still think political media is kind of, 
a disaster at the moment. I mean, but you also have, you know, all of these new sorts of outlets to, to go to and to try to, one thing I like about Substack is just, just the fact that, you know, or email lists generally is the fact that you don't have to worry about what some algorithm is going to, to do or what some, you know, uh, like if Twitter shut down tomorrow, they could do that. And then I would lose everything. I wouldn't have, have any, anyone in my contact list. I, I with, <laughs> with is, this, yeah, I with this, you know, people sign up and, and they get yeah. emails directly from me and sub Substack could fall apart. And I would still have those email addresses to be able to continue to communicate with people. And I think that as time goes on, it's going to be more important to be able to reach people directly. And so that's, that's one, one reason that I thought, Yes, this is this is the path to go for me. This is the yeah. the the chance to kind of get out out of that, and also the a, a chance to just write about whatever I wanted. Even, yeah, some, sometimes yeah. it's sometimes it's on point. Sometimes it's just here's something I've been thinking a lot about. I, I mean, my mm-hmm. most recent um, the most recent piece that I I wrote had to do with um, the most recent piece that I wrote had to do with just kind of this general feeling of dread <laughs> that, yeah. that's going on. And that's not something that Media Matters would have published because they'd be like, this has nothing to do with our mission. I'd be like, I know. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a chance to kind of express express myself in in a more personal way without having to, um, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's a level of not ne- not necessarily bad self censorship, uh, but just sure. staying on topic at a job. <laughs> right. Which, which, well, yeah. Yeah, and you still do, you know, some uh, yeah. media analysis on on your Substack. So it's not like that's completely gone away. But I, I totally hear you with like the the sort of banging your head against the wall aspect of you know covering these like these recurring issues in right wing media that never seem to improve, um, and that can be you know, it can be very frustrating because it kind of, you know, it's like, well, why am I even bothering? And obviously it's important that people do that sort of reporting because not everyone, you know, like myself, people can't spend hours each day immersing themselves in right-wing media. And so it's important that there are trusted sources who can report on what's going on there. But I think you're also right because, you know, one of the things that I was debating whether or not to do this newsletter that I was kind of thinking about is, oh, you know, maybe I should just do the route, go the route of doing like the Twitter super follow thing. Um, But kind of as you were just touching upon, you know, ultimately, I sort of concluded that putting that many eggs in the Twitter basket might be a bad idea. Um, We've seen this with like Facebook and the whole pivot to video thing that, um, you know, it's good to not become too reliant on one platform, you know, for your professional livelihood. And so obviously, Substack is you know, kind of a, a way to diversify and to also kind of leave space to do more writing than, you know, kind of just threads or, you know, 280 character tweets, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, there were a couple different considerations with that, but I, I do think kind of having a home for your work off of Twitter is probably, probably a good and healthy thing overall. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, any, anything that gets you a little bit further away from Twitter probably healthy <laughs> um, probably healthy i mean I, I have kind of a hard time with that because twitter has become you know i have it kind of broken up into lists now where i have like a news tab and a sports tab and like a friends tab but it, you know it really has become kind of my pipeline you know back in the day 15 years ago it was like okay i'm gonna go read the newspaper to sort of get up to speed in the morning at you know with what's going on and now you know twitter has kind of become like my 
entire gateway. And that might change a little bit as I get more um, immersed in Substack or as I, you know, kind of spend more time on Substack because there's a lot of stuff across a wide range of, you know, topics going on on Substack. So I'm, I'm sure I will, you know, make that, like incorporate that more into my, you know, information consumption routine. But um, it is kind of amazing how we've, you know, all of us as like working journalists have for the most part been kind of sucked into this vortex of, of Twitter uh, for better or worse. And I do think there are a lot of good things about Twitter, um, but, you know, just the, how ubiquitous it's come and kind of inescapable, um, you know, when you kind of take a step back, it's like, wow, um, I do spend a lot of time on it. So for, for <laughs> yeah. better or worse, you know, it's, probably for it's, worse. it's one of those things where I look at the, um, you know, I, I, I look at the usage stats on my phone and it's oh, like, God. it, it it's just sad. It's it's like, it is hey, sad. your screen uh, time for this week. And I'm like, don't tell me. I know. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. know. I mean, I'll get the ones where it's like, your screen time, your average per day is seven hours per day, down 40% from last week. And it's yeah. like, you know, like, I guess that's progress. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's sort of, I mean, I've even gotten bad enough, you know, in recent years now I read books on my phone or my computer. It's, you know, even at night, I'm trying to like unwind with my family and I've got like the, you know, multi-viewer to see like what's on, you know, Fox News and Fox Business and Newsmax. And um, definitely it's, you know, I'm overstimulated like constantly. Um, and I'm sure that does have, you know, it, it affects you. But um, but again, you know, that's, I view that as kind of part of my coverage area as well as just sort of being aware of what's happening, you know, both not, you know, not just on TV, but on the Hill. And, you know, so I'm watching C-SPAN all the time too. And um, but yeah, it does kind of lead to, you know, even when I'm reading a book, um, on my computer, I usually have like, you know, like a multi-viewer in the other, you know, the other half of the screen where I'm paying attention to everything on cable news. So, um, you know, 50 years ago, that would have been, uh, kind of unheard of, I guess, but, um, but you know, there, yeah. there are upsides to that too, but yeah, it's, yeah. It, it leads to, I definitely feel very overstimulated all the time. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's kind of the, the general theme of of my uh newsletter is just we're hyper community or hyper connected and <laughs> at the same time so like i don't know like i feel like i sometimes i feel like i just can't relate to any other human being <laughs> right but i'm like it's so weird that at this moment i can i can send out something to 200,000 people but yeah uh, still not be able to actually feel like i'm communicating with anyone so well, it's, it's also yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about like if, if we would have lived through a comparable pandemic you know like 50 years ago before there was the internet um i don't know like it, to me i feel like it would have been a lot more isolating um just in the sense that we use you know like you and i can do this video call and talk and you know granted we could have talked on the phone back in the day too or something like that but um it just, even though we basically spent like a year of our lives kind of hold up at home, I, I never really felt starved for interaction, although it's it's a little bit more of like a shallow interaction than actually like hanging out with people or, you know, getting together with friends, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, so I, I, I don't know, I guess I, I kind of view that as as a upside to this like hyper online world that we live in that, um, you know, I do feel like, I, I mean, I have relationships with people, like you and I have never before today, even though I feel like I know you, we've never really talked ever, yeah. you know, I mean, we've DM'd and stuff like that, but we've never hopped on a call together or anything like that. So, um, you know, it does lead to these kind of like strange relationships or sort of different sorts of relationships with people. 
Um, so I just, you know, I think in some ways to me, I feel like I would have had a harder time kind of enduring, you know, the sort of, um, social conditions that we, that in some ways we still are enduring, but this kind of like, um, you know, the separation that we've all had from each other. Although, um, I, I just, before we got in this call, I was talking with Casey Michael. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work. Um, but he, he's a political journalist who just wrote a book on kleptocracy. And, um, I was doing a Q and a with him for the newsletter and he was kind of like, I was just congratulating him on finishing his book and stuff. And he was like, oh yeah, my wife likes to say that's, that's how I spent the pandemic was writing this book. And I was like, <laughs> man, that's so much more constructive than, uh, you know, getting into drinking whiskey and uh, daily fantasy sports, you know, um, that I yeah. did. But um, I was, you know. was going to say, I, I started, I started collecting baseball cards. That's yeah. what I did during this. So. Nice. It's uh that that's that's how I spent my pandemic just picking up random hobbies here and there. I was like, yeah, baseball cards again. I did that when I was like twelve. Let's 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 bring that back. That's yeah. A thing now. I've been kind of yeah. I, I have a good. I have a mutual friend who's really. I, I don't know Phil Hughes, the former major league baseball player at all, but I have a friend who's really good friends with him. And mm -hmm. Phil has become on Instagram kind of like a baseball card oh, celebrity. Okay. Like he does this thing on Instagram where he opens packs of cards um, and. And so I've kind of like vicariously, you know, because I it, at my parents' house, we still to this day have boxes and boxes and boxes of cards from when when we were kids, myself and my brothers. And actually, one of my brothers recently went through them. And I guess there really weren't that many cards that are worth anything, because even back in the day, you needed to buy like the premium packs or whatever. And that was totally lost on me. I thought there was only like, you know, I thought all cards were kind of the same or yeah. you, know, you could get good, good cards in any pack. But um you know that is yeah i mean everything is so digital now that i guess it kind of you know baseball cards have kind of become this like uh transgressive you know analog like physical item um and so it, i think it's kind of cool you know that they're like back in vogue now um so i guess i don't know we'll see if, if this pandemic goes on for another six months you know if we you know the next i guess the next variant wave that we have maybe i'll cave in and like buy a buy a box of cards too but i haven't quite gotten there yet yeah, I'm I'm definitely going the the baseball cards and uh, video games route to pandemic oh, yeah. survival. I love your tweets. Yeah, I absolutely love your MLB the Show tweets. Oh, Soup Spooner. Yeah. My yeah, yeah. No, that's... I mean, yeah, I kind of follow it, but yeah, basically, I follow the game because I, I know that that's like an acclaimed. I have friends who are into that game uh -huh. as well. Um, it's fun. And yeah, yeah, and you're really. I mean, it's cool that you you know that you're savvy enough to post like little videos and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually so. <laughs> So when I was working at Media Matters, I had a separate Twitter account set up that was just just following all of the right wing accounts, just so I can kind of keep keep up with the, whatever nonsense they're up to. And so that's the one I connected to my PlayStation. So like the feed, the only thing in it is just because I, I never tweet from it, but that's where I have all the photos and videos like sent to, to pull from. So yeah, the feed over there is just all of my playstation things and nothing else so it's, wow. it's pretty great uh <laughs> yeah. but uh, but yeah you know what thank you so much for for stopping by to to talk about your newsletter is there yeah. anything else that that people should know that if if they're Ooh. on if if they're on the edge about whether or not to well, first off, if you're on the edge about whether or not to subscribe for sign up for free, you should totally do that. Oh yeah, that's, sign up for that's free, without please. a question. Worst case scenario, you just ignore the emails. I'm guessing uh, if you've made it this far into this podcast, you're probably willing to sign up for free. And so, I just you know just I encourage people to check it out. I've got a couple you know as as we sit here, I'm I'm a week out from launch as Parker and I are, are talking, and I already I have a couple posts that I'm excited about that are ready to go. 
and so I'm hoping that ultimately kind of the content um, will speak for itself. So yeah, check it out. Um, like I said, uh, AaronRupar.substack.com and you know check out my Twitter account. I'll certainly be kind of tweeting things out from there as we go. And um, appreciate you having me on. And at of some course. point, I'll have to kind of return the favor. I'd be interested to, to talk with you kind of about your your personal immersion in right-wing media and kind of coming <laughs> out of that and, you know, um, perhaps the scars that that, that, that left. But, yeah. um, you know. Oh, and there I, are like, many. You, you were probably, you were at <laughs> Media Matters maybe like three years, right? So you, you were there uh, a pretty good chunk of time. Yeah, about, about two and a half years, yeah. I guess. Because it was right before the 2018 midterms was when I started over there. And then okay. I was there for the midterms, there for the 2020 election. And I... I was under the impression that after the election, there might be like a couple weeks of like chill out time. No, of course not. No, God, no. <laughs> that yeah, just, was... you know, it just, just went right on, right on being. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like, yeah, I've been kind of thinking, cause yeah, it, it did kind of calm down there. You know, after Biden's inauguration, there was like a brief moment, I guess, but then there was the impeachment though. But, um, I felt like I was breathing easy about how things were going for, you know, a couple months, I guess, as the vaccination rollout was kind of successful and things economically seemed to be going pretty well and stuff. But, you know, now that we're like approaching the midterms and, you know, there's been Biden's approval numbers are kind of shaky where it seems and, and you know, his agenda is somewhat imperiled at this point. Like I feel some of that old, the old anxiety kind of yeah. creeping back here a little bit. So, um, you know, I guess you probably got out at kind of, kind of the right time. Um, that, and, you know, kind I'm of... still planning on kind of covering the same old stuff for the for the <laughs> newsletter. But um, I guess I do kind of at this point, I've been doing it long enough where I feel kind of a sense of um, almost like duty to, to cover this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, you know, I'm sure it's, it's leaving some scars on me too. But um, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm willing to kind of endure it a little bit longer to because I, you know, I feel like the, the story of Trumpism and kind of the you know, the struggle to like protect the integrity of elections here in the States. I mean, it's still an ongoing and very active story. So at least for now, I kind of feel obligated to continue to to see it through. Absolutely, and people should 100% uh, follow your follow your newsletter for more on that. Um, thanks, thanks again for stopping by. That's today's show. Thanks to Aaron Rupar for stopping by. As always, you can find a full transcript of today's episode at readthepresentage.com.